Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior, to another Tactical Tuesday. Conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business and grow your career with us here on Suncast. We're here each Tuesday to help you with the tools of the trade as you navigate this fast growth landscape of clean energy. So I want to ask you, how often do you challenge this path that you're on? Do you reflect on the profound impact someone could have on your career with a gentle nudge in the right direction? It's happened to me, and today we're going to learn from Shannon Miller, one of my past guests, the CEO and co-founder of Mainspring Energy, exactly how it happened to her. Shannon and her co-founders have innovated around a novel technology known as a linear generator, which until Mainspring had never really worked outside of a lab. In today's Tactical Tuesday, we're going to look back at a snippet from her longer form interview that goes into the many ways that she has been challenged to do things and see things differently. From a college RA to the company's own core values, Shannon lays out the not-so-direct path to becoming a game-changing climate tech CEO. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be here listening with us again and leveling up your game. Remember, you can always find the resources mentioned in this episode, as well as a link to the longer episode with Shannon, which was episode 533, by the way, over in the show notes at mysuncast.com. We hope you'll subscribe as well, and that means that we'll see you here each and every Tuesday and Thursday. For now, let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another practical, tactical conversation here on Suncast. Shannon, I'd like to back out to kind of 30,000 feet. One of the things that I traditionally do at the very beginning of the interview is try to understand a bit more about sort of the making of the person and how you arrived at the place that you're at now. Everyone has their own different story. It always, in my opinion, starts at a very young age. So I'd like to learn a bit more about you as a person, if, if you will. Could you tell me what was the conversation like for you as a young person around the dinner table? Could you use that opportunity to also explain kind of how big of a nuclear family you had and whether or not it was particularly an entrepreneurial focused family? Kind of how, what was the environment you grew up in? My family is fantastic. I, my parents and my brother were the sort of nuclear family that I grew up with. And they're just amazing, wonderful, supportive people that I just won the lottery uh, with where, where and how I grew up, you know, and I think I was not an entrepreneurial kid. You know, my husband was like starting companies when he was age seven, you know, it was like a different, I I was not doing that. Um, But my grandfather was uh, an entrepreneur and I think he was one of my early heroes. And so, you know, he's the, you know, grew up in a farm in Ohio, Ohio, went to fight in World War II, came back and put himself through college and 
started a company or, you know, helped found a company and grew it. So he was definitely, you know, an idol from an early age. And I'm sure that influenced my path. I know that you grew up uh, sort of in and around Boston. Could you tell me a bit about the influence of your parents? What sort of work did they do? I'm curious if there were any early signs towards either strong leadership qualities or entrepreneurial tendencies that may have stemmed from the work that your folks did or how they encouraged you. I mean, my parents were both very supportive and very much of the mindset you can do, do whatever you want mm-hmm. and achieve whatever you want. Uh, and so, you know, I think my mom went back to school when I was 16 and re, uh, you know, re-entered the workforce, which I think is always, um, you know, looking back on it now it is, uh, I have a lot, a lot of respect for that. Um, and my dad was, was a manager, uh, running, you know, he did a lot of different things in the hotel industry. And so he did, you know, sales and marketing and, and general management. And so I think just realizing how important a team is to building a company is building and, and executing is really critical. Yeah. Both of them were, were influential. Well, what I'm not hearing is, uh, even with your grandfather, a farmer turned entrepreneur, uh, history in the family of engineering. So I know you initially went to Stanford, focused on chemistry and switched to engineering. I'm curious uh, what precipitated that desire to go to the opposite coast and and focus on a practice or a tech, uh, sort of a technical interest that wasn't something you kind of grew up around. Yeah, I think chemistry, I've really, really loved it in high school. And as, when you get to college, it's pure memorization. And mm-hmm. so there's not a lot of understanding of where it could go and what you could use it for. And I'm sure that, you know, if I'd stuck it out, maybe the later year classes were, were maybe would help you see that. But in the early, I think the beginning, it's really more of a weed out for pre-meds. And so it just Mm -hmm. is straight up memorization and it was fine, but it was not, I was not finding any kind of passion around it. Uh, and so, um, I took at the advice of, um, my, uh, RA in my, in my dorm, my freshman RA mm. advice to take a, uh, engineering class in a sophomore year, which was thermodynamics. And actually that was taught by Chris Edwards, who later became my PhD advisor. And it was, uh, it was just so mind blowing because I learned how everything around me worked, refrigerators, car engines, you know, the basics of the world around you. And I just realized this was actually fascinating and something I wanted to continue to continue working on. I wonder, have you ever had a chance to re-engage with that RA? Have you kept in touch? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's wonderful. And he's, he was super helpful in saying, maybe you should try. He's actually a chemical engineer and he's like, you should just take the first intro class for thermodynamics. Cause it's, if you like this, you'll probably like engineering. What a powerful nudge as a sophomore for you to receive, to go check something new I changed, actually, I changed my major from engineering to business because of a similar nudge from uh, not an RA, but someone in a sort of similar role in college. And it's, it always, I reflect on how powerful it is in our sort of late teens, early twenties to have someone like that, who's willing and courageous enough to challenge the path that we're on. You know, I find that far too often people in their thirties and forties don't heed the call uh, the way that your mother did to step out and challenge themselves to do something different. I find that right now, as we enter into a period where we need more, we need a call to arms, folks, more and more folks on the front lines here fighting climate change, that we need more folks like your mother, folks like yourself and like that RA who challenge folks to say, wait, maybe the career path I have chosen is not 
is not the one that's going to leave a legacy. It's not the one that's even going to make me happy. So among those early catalysts in your career, Shannon, was this person named Chris Edwards. Uh, ultimately, he was the professor who had an enduring impact on the direction of your career. I'd love you to expound on the ongoing impact that Chris Edwards has had on you and the ultimate direction that you've taken. Yeah, I think words probably do not capture how much <laughs> gratitude I feel for uh, for what he's given both me and and I know my co-founders feel similarly. We're often, you know, it's it's he actually just announced his retirement and many of his mm. former students got back together and it was just so inspiring to see how many of us all felt this just immense deep gratitude for what he's given us. And, you know, I think he instilled a passion for energy, a passion for learning and a deep, deep respect for first principles thinking. And I think that has just inspired so many folks in the field of energy. And, you know, he's definitely one of my heroes, one of my mentors. And I know so many other people feel, feel the same way. And for those who missed it, Chris is the professor who taught that thermodynamics class and went on to be an advisor in many, uh, in many different ways. We'll talk about them in a moment. You know, I had initially really misunderstood your career path. For some reason, I thought that you basically incubated the idea. You sort of was all, were always at Stanford. This was your first job out of Stanford was starting Mainspring, but that actually isn't accurate. Your first job was at Tesla. I'd love to hear about your decision to go work at Tesla straight out of school. What were you working on there? What did you hope to learn there? And how long was the tenure? Yeah, so I was there less than a year. So it was not not long. And it was right after my PhD. So you know, Matt ah, and I had started talking. Yeah, I, I worked uh, somewhere else after my undergrad. So I have, I've worked a few a few different places. Uh, but Matt, Matt and I had started talking about the idea of starting a company. And, and we had met Adam and started thinking, oh, this is something that is really powerful. We should really try to think about how to, how do we continue this work? But they, you know, Matt and Adam were still finishing their PhDs. And so we, we didn't know, we had no idea if we could get funding or what it would look like to even start a company. It was very early stages. So we didn't think that was really going to happen. And I thought I should probably get a job. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Tesla was a really exciting opportunity. This was, I think when I was there, they they IPO, the Roadster was out. Wow. We were working on the Model S. Um, it was a super fun, fun time to be there. Um, and I was working on powertrain cooling. So it was a combination of modeling, hardware testing, design. And so it was just a really fantastic opportunity to see yeah. see the company working at a really, really exciting growth time. Yet you stayed for less than a year. What was the catalyst for pulling you back to the idea that you'd begun to nurture during your PhD with Matt and Adam and Chris as your advisor. Yeah. So Adam had actually been doing diligence for Coastal Ventures as part of his, you know, Chris gets called all the time by investors to do, help them do diligence on new companies. And he typically wants nothing to do with it. So he, uh, he's, he's gave, uh, you know, would connect them with, with some of his, um, graduate students who are very excited to help, um, right. and could, could do the analysis. And so Adam was doing that for COSLA and had done, had looked at a number of their companies and helped do the sort of first principles thermo thermodynamics to understand, Hey, does this technology make sense? So they, they had asked him, Hey, you know, what ideas do you see out there that are interesting and compelling? And he said, well, one of the ideas came, you know, this, this idea from, my lab is interesting. So we sat down with Samir and looked at it. And, and I think that was the moment where they said, Hey, you know, why don't you distributed generation was starting uh, power generation was, yeah. was 
you know, solar was really starting to ramp ramp up. Net energy metering was starting to be starting to be clear that that was really powerful. And so we were, you know, they, they said, we should start the company. I said, why don't you give me more time at Tesla, (laughs) which is very funny in hindsight. And they were like, you can't wait. The market is moving. You know, you have to sprint guys. And so we started sprinting (laughs) early. Yeah. Early life lesson that when the opportunity appears, you got to seize it. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Heck, Solve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations. Our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia to green hydrogen to crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. It's easy for us looking back on 530 million raised and market validation from the likes of Lineage and Kroger and NextEra to think, wow, these guys just went from success to success. But that's not how entrepreneurship works. Were there moments where you thought this product is doomed or it's just not going to work? Or did we build the company with the right team? Can you talk a bit about some of those less certain moments? We definitely had some, you know, I think one that one that sticks out very clearly is that one of our early seal designs you know we we had tested it at a smaller scale we scaled it up it did not work mm. it was really clear when we scaled it up it did not work and you know if we'd kept trying to we we were just fortunate to have a you know very creative and very perseverant team to to help push through that and find a new solution that works worked better but mm. it was definitely a moment where we said huh this may not, this may not work. Was that a crux moment where like, if it doesn't work, it, it may well mean that this machine doesn't work. Oh yeah. It was mm. very existential. <laughs> <laughs> What's the conversation with your, uh, with your entrepreneurial husband at that moment where you're thinking that we may have just spent all this money and not be where we thought we'd be. 
Yeah. Well, it was, and it was also my, with my co-founders yeah. too. It was like, all right, we are, we are in trouble here, but you know, I think this is where, you know, one of our core values is called pragmatic optimism. And it really, um, I, I'd say my co-founders have it more, more than I do is <laughs> this idea of continuing to look at the problem in different ways and continuing to say, well, I call it a can if attitude. I can solve this if these things are true, or if I think about it, you know, if we change it, it change these things, then we can make this happen. And if you think about it in different ways and you sort of force yourself to look at the problem from different angles, the initial ideas might sound crazy, but then as you start to work them and think through them, you're like, well, actually this isn't that crazy. Maybe we could do this. And you, if you keep your mind open to those, those, maybe sometimes wacky ideas, you can often find a path that you may maybe didn't think was viable before. Yeah. Well said. You know, one of the paths that heretofore has not been viable was this whole idea of uh, being fuel agnostic. I think that it's fair to say, especially you guys are seeing it prove out now in the last uh, one or two years that you're making a big bet on clean fuels being there for customers, right? That, that the hydrogen hub concept is going to come to fruition, that our friend Rob is gonna is gonna scale his technology, and so is Rafi, and so many other uh, electrolysis companies or pyrolysis companies. But that the hydrogen economy, as one potential fuel, is going to materialize. Is that a risk for your company still at this point? I think for most of our customers, my belief is it's it's, it's not if but when, and really the transition has to happen to get us fully to zero carbon and to have a resilient resilient grid. And so I, I look at it as our systems help people accelerate that because if you had a system that couldn't run on those other fuels, you wouldn't be able to take advantage of the opportunities when they came along. And you, you know, many of our customers, I guess some of them are driving and, and getting, getting that, uh, getting those fuels faster. And some aren't sure how they're going to get those fuels, but just by simply having something that is able to use those different fuels, they can move more quickly. And so I see us as being able to enable that transition to happen faster than it would otherwise. One fascinating uh, way that you've done that, and it's something that has been, I'll say a bugger, it's been real hard problem for folks to really um, tap into is the whole idea of, uh, of biogas. You just announced, uh, I mean, so many amazing announcements coming out of your company right now, your head must be spinning, but you've just announced this um, landfill project in Yolo County, California. The scope of the problem is is really quite large globally. And the fuel flexibility of the generator that you've created makes it ideal for generating renewable electricity with biogas, which I'd love for you to unpack why biogas has been so hard up to now to harness. Yeah, I think the fact that it's often very distributed, it's not all in one place. There's different kinds of biogas. So there's landfill, there's wastewater treatment, there's dairies, all of those fuels look different. And so you know, often the problem has a lot of, there's a lot of uniqueness to each of those, each of those sites and each of those projects that can make it hard to go tackle as a larger, you know, with one solution. And so I think having a distributed fuel flexible solution really allows us to help that industry in a way that other technologies haven't been able to do before. Seems like, and I don't want to overstretch here, um, but it seems like the linear generator from Mainspring becomes sort of a silver bullet for that particular segment of the market, at least biogas and landfill gas. Is that accurate? We think so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting words in your mouth. I, I, I'm looking at 
you know, it's been a problem uh, that just generally us in the renewable energy sector have opined around and the ability to harness biogas, not just from landfills, but as you said, from dairies here in North Carolina, from pig farms, right? The biodigesters don't always produce the same quality of fuel, which is why there isn't a big fuel pipeline coming out of North Carolina (laughs) of biodigested methane. Um, So it is, uh, for me, it was really exciting to see the announcement from Yolo County. Um, You know, you've got, uh, it would take us too long to continue to go through all the different uh, announcements, but the microgrid from Napa, the Yolo County project example, you truly have positioned yourself to be a a nearly perfect complement, in my opinion, to a major corporate buyer's strategy for bridging to renewables and figuring out how to firm renewables without needing to buy, frankly, huge battery packs and and the the, the technological risk in, inherent in that as well. You know, I think one of the things that really proud of our team around is being able to go talk to all of those different sub-segments within bio, the biogas market and understand the specific needs of those different groups and try to make sure that our product can deliver for them what they need. So like you said, wastewater treatment is different than biogas at a dairy that that is different from a landfill. And so really a testament to the team that's doing a little bit of product management and a little bit of business development and a little bit of sales all together to really try to make sure that we can deliver a product that adds value to those customers. You mentioned team. And I think one of the things that is a homegrown video that I found of your, I think it maybe even is your corporate video at, at present on your website and we'll post it on our uh, blog page. You seem to have a team that just really enjoys what they're doing. And I'm curious, how do you think about building a culture of continuous innovation? In particular, one that allows your team to routinely say, I'm having fun. I'm encouraged to become better at my job through working at Mainspring. Well, it probably starts with, starts with hiring and the team and finding people that have that philosophy to begin with. And I think the, you know, we put our core values on the website. We talk about them. We interview for them. We, they're a big part of, you know, how we operate. And so we hope, hopefully attract folks that have that same philosophy. And so then it, you know, continues continues as you go and as, as you grow. Can you speak to a couple of those core values? I'm curious, what are the hallmarks of a company culture that underpin the way that these employees clearly emanate their feelings for the company? Yeah. So the first one, as I mentioned, is pragmatic optimism. And that really, I think, came largely from our, you know, at the root from our advisor, from Chris Edwards at Stanford. But then I, like I said, I see it really embodied in my, my two, two co-founders. Uh, the second is proactive collaboration. So this idea that we have you know, when you start, you have a pretty complex system, just even the core technology, there's yeah. electrical and there's software and there's mechanical and all of those have to talk together and optimizing one, uh, maybe, at, you know, if you, if you just optimize for yourself as the software or the electrical engineer, you might make the mechanical, mechanical part harder, or you make, make, you know, it harder to assemble or to produce or to manufacture right. or make, make it cost more. And that starts to expand out from the technology to everything in the company. And so proactive collaboration is really around making sure that we're communicating our ideas, really have a high level of transparency so that we're ultimately creating the best product and really satisfying the customer. And then the third one is uh, excellence without ego. And so this is really around trying to always be improving, always be striving for excellence and to have the sort of humility to get the feedback, to know that you can always be doing better. 
well, I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge you here in a moment around excellence without ego. I think it's something that you do exemplify. It's probably one of the ones these you said, the proactive uh, or pragmatic optimism your, your co-founders embody. Uh, another accolade and one that I believe also points to the kind of corporate culture that you wish to build upon is that you were very recently selected as one of the U.S. Department of Energy's nine recipients for the Clean Energy Education and Empowerment, or C3E, awards. Congratulations, by the way. That's amazing. The C3E award winners are creating scientific breakthroughs. This is from the website. Increasing energy access, boosting community resilience, improving systems, and investing in groundbreaking technologies that will facilitate the clean energy transition. We've actually had past entrepreneurship and business winner Steph Spears and Meg Nutting here on the show this year as well. And the award is meant to advance women's leadership in the energy transition. I'd love to hear uh, here in the in the waning moments of our interview, <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on words of advice, in particular for other women, young women who wish to pursue a career in climate tech or clean energy. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wary of giving advice because I know that everybody's situation is different. Um, but I would say that, you know, I think this passion is really important, but, um, I think the adage that, you know, if you're passionate about what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, maybe, maybe a little too far and that there will be hard days and the passion will get you through it. (laughs) Uh, and so knowing, you know, knowing, expecting that it's not always going to be easy, maybe, maybe a good way to go into things. Um, at least that helps me. Um, and then the second is maybe, you know, as you're choosing companies, you know, and you're focused on climate, look also for things like core values, because, Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully and an interview for that when you, when you're interviewing at a company and hopefully you can find a place where you find, you find that match. Yeah. I'm going to modify slightly sort of rephrase a little bit what you just said, because I think it's a really important point to enunciate. And that is when you are choosing companies, so many young people believe falsely, in my opinion, that they are being selected. But it is in many ways a buyer's market right now for anyone looking for a job in climate tech. And while there's a structure for interview that Shannon and her team are going through, in many ways, each and every applicant is, in fact, interviewing the company. And and that's the mindset shift that I hope for folks that they can harness Right. Exactly. Because, yeah. Because like, you said, good, interview good for those qualities that you're looking yeah. for. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You should come with questions and you should be looking for exactly the the fit that you want. I love that. Was there any advice early on that you feel served as foundational insight? In hindsight, you look back and think, man, this really ensured the success so far of the company. We, we talked a lot about pragmatic optimism already. I think that's been one of the key key drivers. Mm-hmm. The other one that, you know, comes to mind is, um, you know, Vinod and Samir, when we were starting, told us at, at Kosala, told us, you know, tackle the highest risk and the hardest problems first, because, uh-huh. you know, what you don't want to do is, I mean, there's money at stake, but there's also your life at stake and right. <laughs> time, like you said at the beginning is your most important and the only non-renewable asset. And so if you don't want to waste a bunch of time doing the easy things and then find out that you've had a roadblock that stops, that makes the the business a non-starter. And so they always recommended, you know, and pushed really hard to say, what's the hardest, highest risk thing in the company? Make sure you do that first and tackle that first before anything else. All right. Well, that is a wrap on this practical conversation and insight from Shannon Miller over at Mainspring and how she brought that company to life. 
I hope that you'll cue up the longer version of this episode as the first 30 minutes are Shannon and I going deep on the tech that she has created. If you made it this far, I really think you're going to like that deeper dive with Shannon. We'll be back here again with another engineer, a deep science-led thinker, Ms. Karen Calvino, the CEO and co-founder of Renew CO2. So if you like to nerd out, you'll want to make sure you're subscribed to the show because this episode gets into the science in a way I haven't done in a very long time. Tune in Thursday to learn more. And if you want to enjoy more like this, well, there's more than 575 additional episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with the social media links to each and every guest, their recommendations for book reading, and so much more over in the show notes on our website. Hope you'll check it out. And of course, if you've been wondering how you could partner with us as a sponsor, get coaching from me personally to help scale your clean energy business, transition into the solar industry, or just commune with other like-minded souls in our private community, well, you'll get what you need over at mysuncast.com. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.